0: You have a thousand affiliates but it didn't start out that way right it started out with like zero of course and then we eventually got like one and two and then we we're like okay this seems like we're getting people to sign up by this through this kind of email trigger and then just like anything else right as soon as you kind of figure out like how you get 10 you can f- basically duplicate that process just a million times and just get get a hundred get a thousand uh so that's what we did we just started building email automations around like getting people to actually sign up for affiliate program and then and eventually like educating
1: them on actually how to package up the content. That's a clip from today's show. I'm your host, Cody Schneider. Welcome to the In The Pit podcast. Today we're joined by Cody McGuffey, the CEO and founder of Everbee. Everbee is a product analytics tool for Etsy sellers. Cody's gonna share with us how he's grown the product. Cody's gonna share with us how he's grown Everbee from zero to 1 million ARR in only 18 months, entirely (laughs) self-funded. It's honestly an insane story because he's only doing this entirely through B2B influencer affiliate marketing. This episode is brought to you by Swell AI. Swell AI is an AI writer that helps you turn your audio and video files into written content. Go to swellai.com to sign up for free. All right, let's get started with today's show. Dude, so glad to have you. <laughs> Stoked to be here with you. I feel like I've been in the trenches with you for the last two years, so I'm excited to get, like you know actually get you to share the story and kind of that whole perspective so other people can learn about it. But Um, yeah, you know, quick introduction, uh, we're talking with Cody McGuffey today. Uh, he's the CEO and co-founder of Everbee. Do you want to give a synopsis of what Everbee is? I feel like you're going to do a way better uh, description than I can. So yeah,
0: we'll see. No, so Everbee is a e-commerce growth tool aimed at Etsy sellers. We help Etsy sellers grow their Etsy shop, um, more efficiently, faster. And we do that by showing them the best products to sell on Etsy and also the best keywords to use, uh, you know, for those products to actually get seen on Etsy. So essentially anybody that, um, that is looking to build a shop or maybe looking to scale their shop on Etsy, uh, our tool ever be our suite of tools, uh, helps them do that. Um, so yeah, that's pretty much about us.
1: That's awesome. Is there any, like, I, I guess, uh, you know, something that is more common that people can relate this to, I always try to like, you know, it, especially when it's new products or, or yeah. categories is like,
0: great question. Yeah. Yeah. So if you're an Amazon seller, then you understand Jungle Scout, you know, Helium 10, those tools. Um, so we're, we're, we're basically that for Etsy. Uh, if you think about like any kind of if you're a marketer, um, then SEMrush, right, understands you or it helps you understand like where the keyword gaps are, you know, in the market um, to help you rank better. Uh, so we are we kind of do that similar concept, right, with product research and actually apply that specifically to the marketplace platform Etsy. Um, so if that if does that help a little bit.
1: Yeah, absolutely. That's perfect. I think that gives enough context just for people to kind of understand like where it fits within uh, like an e-commerce person's you know, tool belt. So, uh, okay. So with that yeah. said, I'd love to hear how you got there. Like you know, what, what led to this process of making this company? I mean, you have some crazy numbers. And so this is entirely bootstrapped. I don't know how big your team is now, um, but I know you're doing over a million yep. uh, ARR and revenue uh, in under like 18 months, which is nuts. No outside capital yet. Um, yeah. So t- t- tell me about that journey, kind of how you got to where you are currently.
0: Yeah. Thank you. I mean, you've been kind of, uh, you know, a friend right in the friend corner for, for this whole process. So you've kind of seen it start from literally zero negative two, probably right. So where it is now. Um, and we still have a lot of work to do and so try to unpack it. Um, so we started in 20, uh, 2021, we officially launched, uh, and that was like around June, June, June we probably launched. Uh, we, my background was in e-commerce just in general. Uh, like I my entrepreneurship background was in e-commerce. I started an Amazon FBA store, started Walmart.com or started selling on Walmart.com, Shopify store, uh, eventually found Etsy. And as soon as I kind of like took all that experience, wrapped it up into Etsy, we dominated Etsy in a very short period of time, just because we had a lot of knowledge, you know, based on experience, based on other other platforms. Um, quickly, when I was on Etsy selling as physical products, uh, we realized quickly that there's like big time gaps. There was a big time gap at the time, um, for a, a product, a product research tool. Uh, and so I also have a, you know, a technical background, I guess you could say like working for tech companies, software companies and stuff in the past. Um, so I always knew that I kind of wanted to jump into SaaS at some point to start my own SaaS company. Uh, it was just a matter of like what, and I ran like with a bunch of projects. We could talk about those probably forever. Um, a bunch of failed projects, failed companies in SaaS. But, uh, eventually this was kind of like the perfect alignment for what my experience was on what the market needed and me understanding, actually, uh, understanding the market just in general. Um, so that's when we started actually building Everbee, uh, it started out with just like a simple, like Google sheet. Right. And I was just running basically just, just built it super scrappy mostly for myself. Um, but the concept was there. And then we, uh, we, we, we stood up an MVP probably in about six months. Um, and we launched it after that, uh, just like any other startup, it was a slow, slow roll, right? Like we got, a, we got a few diff- few signups, um, but it wasn't like a immediate success by any means and slowly just kind of like tinkered and tinkered and tinkered eventually until we found like a, some sort of product market fit. Um, and as soon as we figured that out, the people were actually willing to pay for this, this product at this price based on this triggers and all this good stuff. We v- eventually just started building automations around that, just trying to, you know, scale, uh, scale ourselves, um, and, but yeah, you mentioned a little bit of like being bootstrapped, uh, bootstrapped, obviously like no outside capital. It was all self-funded, um, from myself and my wife. Um, and you could, uh, we could talk more about that, the whole, that whole bootstrap journey versus funding. Cause we've kind of gone down a couple holes there, but, uh, it's been a lot of fun, man. Like absolutely amazing experience. And i couldn't say enough about like our team, um, it's 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 fun. Like our team is exceptional, and that's why we've been successful so far. Simple as that.
1: How many do you have now? Like, what's your team size that you're working with to run this thing?
0: Cool. Yeah. So we are seven people total, full time. Um, and so we have one in Brazil, uh, four in India, one in Turkey, and then one in US, which is me. Um, is that out awesome. to seven? I'm not really
1: sure. But anyway, so. It, yeah, so I'm going to come back to like hiring remotely. Um, but before we do that, I want to just kind of hit on distribution. Um, I think this is like a big question for a lot of early stage companies and just everybody in general that's in the marketing space, right? It's 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 finding that channel market fit. Um, I know you guys tried a lot of stuff before you kind of identified your bread and butter, which is B2B influencer marketing. We'll, we'll get to that a little bit later on. But I'd love to hear about those trials, kind yeah. of that, like initial oh my identification gosh, yeah. of distribution.
0: Sure. Yeah. So essentially we, uh, what we did, I have, again, e-commerce back, going back to e-commerce e-commerce experience and also like funnel building understood like funnels and how, how to build them. Uh, so kind of wrapping all that e-commerce experience into this, um, the whole strategy was actually going to do paid acquisition. Um, and we were going to do that through Facebook ads because I had experience in Facebook ads and I understood how to, how, how to get a lead, right. Basically, um, for a, a sustainable cost. So that was our original, original plan. And we actually did that. Um, it was fine. Uh, and then, so we got, went down that path. Uh, we captured leads. We can go down that whole funnel, but essentially we captured leads, eventually tried to turn them into, you know, engaged users and eventually started trying to turn them into paid users. We did that with Facebook. We did that through uh, Google search um, a little bit, YouTube ads a little bit. And then we were tinkering with our organic YouTube. And then eventually we kind of found, or, we, or then we were tinkering with like influencer marketing, affiliate marketing, things like that. Um, and that's where actually most of our bread and butter is in like the affiliate marketing space meaning part doing a revenue share with uh with affiliates
1: awesome okay so so um is it mainly mainly focused on youtube uh i think for a lot of people that are looking at the the affiliate uh as a channel they're trying to figure out like what's the pay structure like how do i get these relationships i I mean it sounds like i know you're working with like it you know, 10 plus affiliates currently, right. That are all in the inf- like
0: oh, influencers. Actually, we actually have a thousand over a thousand affiliates um, that That's are like insane. a part of our <laughs> ever affiliate program, which is absolutely insane. Uh, so yeah, totally. We figured out some things. Um, and fortunately so are when there, you, f- are there
1: power users within that group or what does that look like? Absolutely. Like, do, you, do you compensate yeah. them differently?
0: No, they're all the same. We all—all uh, all of our, our affiliate program is straight across the board, standardized. Um, it's thirty percent revenue share on, on recurring revenue. Um, we do that on a twelve month rolling basis or twelve month basis. Uh, so twelve month payouts, and then it ends. Um, uh, totally. I um, you certainly providing the power logs? Yeah. To them? It, it, we're providing assets now. Yeah, it didn't start out that way for a while. Um, it was more so just like, hey, sign up and like do your thing. But now that we've gotten a little bit more sophisticated, uh, we've actually built out like. You know to do's or do's and don'ts right best practices here's some examples of successful stories uh some assets for sure in there um and yeah it's, it seems to be pretty successful but like going back to like power users like 80 20 rule is 100 the case uh right like uh 80 or 20 of our of our affiliates drive in 80 percent of our you know affiliate commissions
1: No, that makes total sense. Um, So with those partners, like, did you have to manually go out and get them or or did they just come into kind of your, I don't know, digital gravity on their own? Like how how did that initial, uh, you know, spark, light that fire?
0: Yep. So both, Um, both of course, but there's, there's some better than others. Uh, At first it was just like, take our users and try to convert them into affiliates, right? Because that's the best people that they're the best ambassadors of our brand, of our product Um, that worked. Uh, and then at, if when we started dump fi- dumping fire kind of on this thing that seems to be working uh, that's when we started actually manually reaching out to affiliates and we could talk about that process in depth if you'd like uh but basically it's just like reaching out to people that we feel like could use our tool and also could resonate could use it to help their audience and if we could align those two things and also make everybody money at the same time then we knew we were gonna win it's just a matter of like figuring out that perfect process that perfect structure for us uh, and and executing on it
1: totally yeah no i would love the details on like the influence of retail i know the audience is like dying for them as well because everybody's trying to figure out how do i do that for that brand
0: sure yeah let's do it um so essentially um our affiliate program our our, our, this whole program we haven't even named it really anything i think i I was talking to another friend he called it the. he's he started he's he's he has a SaaS company too and he was like actually actually asking me about like for an sop and, uh, he called it the ever be method, which is funny. Um, I was just his terminology, but I don't know what we'll t- refer to it as, but essentially it's just simple. as marketing. It's something crazy. It's more like we make a list of all the potential people that we potentially want to work with in the future. Right? Like who has the same audience that we do and and who owns that audience? We make a, a, a literally a Google spreadsheet and just put them on the list. And then we go and get their emails and we, we just, Right, obviously but there's a couple steps inside that but essentially that's it right we just need their their uh their name their or their channel their email and then like their audience size something like that and then at that point we have a dream we have a dream list that's what we call it uh and then we just go ahead and start reaching out to those people um we've done it pretty manually meaning like literally i would go and do it i would take that email and i would actually go send them a personal email and i would actually just ask them hey and like with a nice cold email like hey my name is Cody, founder of Everbee. Um, we're an e-commerce growth SaaS, you know, for Etsy sellers. Uh, would you like to chat about a paid collaboration, a, a paid or or just maybe just make it regular collaboration? And um, right there, it just gives them an opportunity to, if they're interested, they engage. If they're not, they they pass, and then I'll follow up later. Uh, but essentially, is that is just like we want to be able to talk to these people um, because we believe that our tool can actually help their sell their their audience, and if we could just make that very clear to them. And, uh, then they're going to want to work with us. That's, that's how it is.
1: Totally. It's symbiotic in that way. Like, also, I feel like it, it gives them a, like something for them to make content about. Like I know creators are constantly looking for like, Oh, like what are these different ideas for, you know, my own, uh, uh content, like just like new things for me to do. And it right. almost like instigates that for it. But, um, so with the totally. email piece, like you're finding their website. Um, I imagine you're using like a lookup tool, like Hunter IO, or like, I mean, I think, uh, from my, from my understanding, like YouTube, um, like about pages, like channel about pages, they like a lot of the times they'll just have the emails. Yep. So for these like you know B two B creators that are showing people other people how to make money online, it they're mm-hmm. they're trying to be accessible, from my understanding, is that mm-hmm. would you say that's that's right or?
0: Yeah, I say so, right? Um, but yeah, we don't use any fancy tools for this actually. Like when we actually scale the program further, we we will probably invest in some of those tools, but. Do we did a super old school and people will laugh at this. Um, I literally, when we were getting ready, when we were building Everbee, when we were in development the first six months, this is the first exercise I did myself personally, I I literally just my project was I created a list of as many people as I possibly could find on YouTube that are talking to the same audience that I want to talk to. And I just put them on my list. And then I would, after I got all their names and channel links, then I just made another project or the next phase phase of the project was literally go into each, each, each channel, literally go to their about section, their YouTube channel, click on the little robot button and then get their or whatever it is. And then get their email, copy and paste it. Right. I did this and you could do this maximum like seven times, I think a day or 12 times a day or something crazy. Um, but I just did it cause I wasn't in a rush. Like this is something that I was, I'm in this thing for super long-term. So I wasn't like in this, I, I wasn't looking for like a get, get rich quick, try to like, you know, take the pill and like fix this thing. I knew the strategy would pro- probably work. Um, so I was willing to just like invest my personal time into it. Um, now would I do that again? I know I'd automate it now. I'd figure out a way to scale this so I can make it better. Uh, but I think the exercise of me just doing that right there, um, I'm happy I did it personally. Uh, so yeah, just built a list, um, the emails I did it myself. And then at that point I take those emails when I'm ready to, to email them and I just literally put them into our, our, CRM or whatever and, um, start emailing them. Um, I so, think, yeah, we can talk more about the email. Go ahead.
1: Yeah, no, no. I was just curious. Um, like I, in these relationships, are you, are you tracking like the amount of reach Are like, are they reporting that to you? Or are you just looking at that core number? Like, Hey, they're making X amount of signups and. X amount of revenue. That's the only thing that matters. Great question, to me. Like
0: Totally. Um, so yeah, for us, like again, I'm gonna I always I'm gonna echo this probably is like we think very long term on Everbee the company. Um, like I don't want to like get into Everbee, build it to be three three years old and and then sell it or something like that. It's not, that's not the main goal here. It's like, I literally want to be in existence for 10 years, 20 years type of thing. Um, so therefore, if I'm, because I'm coming at it with that mindset, I, I don't care about the ROI this month necessarily. Um, I care about the ROI like over the valve like the lifetime, I guess. Um, so to, be an, to answer your question, we're not really measuring that too much yet. Uh, more importantly is I'm interested in the relationships that I'm building with these people on my list. Because I know that like, we're not perfect tool, like no tools, perfect. Right. Um, I'm, I'm looking at it more like I want to be friends with these people on my list too. Um, and I want to be able to help them any possibly way I, any possible way I can with connections. I want to be able, cause I know they're also gonna be able to help me in other ways too, with product feedback, with uh, product feature rec- requests, um, just with doing me a favor, making me, making a connection. So I look at it more like it's not just a statistical, like ROI type of perspective, uh, I do look at the numbers for sure to answer your question about dodging it. Um, We look at like how much this, this affiliate is actually driven through their How many views have, how many uh, visits have they driven through their link? How much commission has it generated? We measure it we pay attention to it. Okay. Like, you know, they're worth investing in more. Maybe we'll do a paid collaboration with this person. Maybe not. um, Based on those numbers. So so you are doing some paid then? We're doing some paid collaborations. Yeah, for sure. Uh, Very small amount though. Like one, that half a percent of our affiliates are actually paid collaborators. Yep. Um, and, but we do do it with select people, uh, that really, really get it and really, really get what we're doing and how we communicate what we're doing. Uh, we do it. Um, but the majority is, is usually not.
1: So it's almost per- like and we can talk about the high performers.
0: Pretty much. Yeah. Or maybe like, uh, exactly. Yeah. Pr- pretty much that way.
1: Yeah. Like doubling down.
0: I think that like Exactly. It's certainly easier to get in front of of a collaborator, right? And we can go down this path to talk about this is like, it's certainly easier to go down the path of like, when you email somebody cold, they don't know you, you don't know them. Everybody wants to get in front of this affiliate, right? Everybody wants them to represent their tool. Like, how are you going to separate yourself? Right? Um, And so the, the probably the easiest way to do this is to offer them competition for their time or their energy. Right? So it's literally the most fair thing you could possibly do, right? Uh, with a cold email, the majority of people, mistakes that I see make, a lot of founders make, or maybe growth growth people make, is they reach out to an affiliate, and this maybe is like a, a great affiliate with X amount of thousand followers or subscribers, and they're just like, hey, like, be an affiliate for us, you know? And they're kind of just like, dude, I get reached out by 20 people a day, like you, you know? Like, why should I even give you my time to book a call with you or to even sign up as an affiliate and all this stuff? I don't, I don't know you. I don't trust you. And I have a million other brand deals that I could potentially be considering. And you're coming to me with a free offer. Like I'm going to do something for free for a potential commission on 30% when your offer is a hundred dollars. So I make 30 bucks. Like it doesn't make sense for them to do that. Right. Um, So you need to put your like thinking cap on as a founder or growth person uh, in the company to be like, how do we get this person to like, want to talk to us? You know? And sometimes you got to throw a piece of fruit in front of them and say like, Hey, like I, I literally want to, I'll pay you for your time or I'll pay you, uh, as for the collaboration that immediately triggers trust with them to at least be like, at least they get, at least they'll book the call.
1: Yeah. And they're like, Oh, they're serious. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Exactly. Because otherwise, you're just like everybody else and everybody wants free stuff all the time. And so we take a totally different approach. Like uh, we, we invest in our, our paid collaborations pretty heavily. Actually, uh, we take it super seriously and, um, we, we, we respect them enough and respect their audience enough and what they, their, their, the the audience they built enough to pay them for that. Uh, I think that's, that's the separator. Um, and then, then we're also very, very, very easy to work with, uh, like super easy to work with if you compare us to like other brands that are working with affiliates. Um, and I, that's not my feedback. That's actually feedback from all of our affiliates, all of our paid collaborations We're literally the easiest company they've ever worked with. And that's, that's the aim here. Uh, and then therefore that, that actually builds more loyalty and then more trust and more friendships and long-term deep relationships. Uh, so it's much easier to do other things with them.
1: Totally, that makes. I I just think like being human with this, right? Like again, not approaching it from this corporate perspective is probably this competitive advantage when you're trying to negotiate these deals, like with them and and get in relationship with them. Um, With that said, I'd I'd love to change uh, speed and and talk about remote hiring. In my opinion, you're (laughs) one of the best I've met that's doing this, like bootstrap. I think it's really hard to find like good devs um, and also you know good marketing people, good good CX people. Um, you know, globally distributed, and then bringing them all together. So do uh, do you want to give just like a high level of how you kind of have that structured, um, and then how you're organizing it? Because like, I, I, it's honestly crazy. I mean, we've talked about this before, but to me, it's just, it's wild how you're doing it. So
0: totally. I appreciate that, man. Yeah, for sure. Um, so yeah, we have a pretty cool process. Uh, so first of all, my, my background is in recruiting. So that was my, I, I recruit for second tech, tech companies. Uh, Qualcomm was one of them. And then Sprinkler was another software company I, I worked for as a recruiter. So I understood the recruiting lifecycle. Uh, so definitely is a big advantage when you come to like actually growing a team and the recruiting process and all that stuff. I understood that. Um, but a, sem- a couple high level things is like, we have a process for it, right? We, uh, we, ha- simple as posting a job description, you know, you have the people and you post a job description based on the location you want to hire in. Um, for example, if it's India, we post a job description, uh, people will apply, we take them through, we shortlist the best ones. We take them to the next phase, right? Which is phone screen, uh, if they pass that, they go into interview number one or interview number two, sorry, with uh, maybe technical and then maybe interview number three and then higher. That's the process, right? If you look at like a Trello board or a JIRA board, right, that's the process. Uh, so it's now it's just a matter of like executing on that process and how you do it. Um, but as far as like high level, like, yes, we're 100% globally distributed. Uh, our plan is to do that. Um, it's a huge competitive advantage if you can do it as a bootstrap company and probably as a, as a venture company, too, I imagine. Um just because your costs are much, much lower, uh, you get a wide, wide array of talent that you can pick from now. And you could build this awesome team of diverse people, uh, that have different perspectives and that are super, super smart. And that's a competitive advantage for Everbee. No question. Like the fact that we have people in India, Brazil and Turkey and U S we're smarter than all the competition. I believe just because we have different perspectives, different, different cultures. Um, and and then the, the financial, com, you know, competitive advantage is that we can actually like hire more of these people faster, you know, and because that they're at a lower cost, uh, so we can actually grow our team better and more powerful. Um, there are downsides with it, obviously, such as like communication, uh, English speaking, um, time zones, right? Uh, and we could talk about that those fun things too, right? And so are you? Those are I like those are. That. Yeah.
1: Are you doing an async, like sync? Like, I guess, um, you know, on a talk to me about like the first two days of the week. Um, like when you're doing, are you doing all hands on Monday, Tuesday? Like, how are those, how are those meetings structured? Are you, <laughs> I mean, again, you're probably dealing with yep. you know four different time zones, like getting everybody aligned. I, I can imagine for a, really? a single time is probably, you know, impossible. So h- how are you structuring that?
0: Sure. Yeah, totally. Um, we our process is pretty simple like we actually keep things very simple um in our company and meaning like every single monday every single every single day of the week we have a daily stand-up and a daily stand-up is actually uh at ist it's uh, india standard time it's actually 7 30 p.m their time um so which is like 8 8 a.m or 8 30 depending on the, the time that they're listening to this um it's, it's my morning time basically uh and everyone just works around us time schedule and they work nights india nights um this seems to be working works best for our company. You could do this in a lot of different ways. Um, but because I was product manager uh for our company as well, um, I needed to be on those sprint calls, right? And this was the best time that they could do it. India culture is very, very, uh, very adjusted to working US time zone, like right, like uh Western hours. So it makes a lot of sense for them. Um and that's that's how we structure it. Yeah. So basically Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, daily stand up call.
1: I'm oh, sorry to interject, man. Um, are you requiring that no, to no. be U.S. time zones? Like saying, hey, like this, like you need to be online during these four hours. Like I know some people don't block it where it's like they're online, um, you know, four hours of the day, you're sharing the same time that you're, you know, actively working. Um, how are you yeah. structuring that?
0: Yep. It's required to never be to be online from basically they, if, if they're in India, for example, they work from like 7, 7 p.m. Their time to uh, to 12 a.m., 1 a.m. Their time that's required. Uh, and then all the other hours of the day, they can, they can flexible, they can be flexible with their, with their time, as long as their development is work. Um, that's the crossover that we require now. Uh, it just seems to work the best, um, for us. Uh, I will say though, that that doesn't work for everybody. Um, the most important thing that we hire for is actually like self-motivated, passionate people that really, really care, right? If, if you can't get that right person, if that person isn't there, like they're going to figure out a way to like screw the company over or, or take advantage of the hours or maybe moonlight, which means working two jobs, they're going to do those things. Um, so that's why it's so important to like have the right people in the right seats. And fortunately we really, really care about our culture. We're taking a very early approach to like thinking about that. So, uh, we only have great people in in the company that want to be here, that want to work. And so we have zero issues with like hours and flexibility. Um, So if they, if they don't hit from seven to 1am, it's not the biggest deal in the world. Like as long as their the sprints are, are, you know, are getting taken care of and all that good stuff.
1: Totally. Totally makes sense. Um, so I, I mean, I imagine you're hiring firing fast if you're trying to find like identify these people. I mean, everybody says that, right. But like when it comes down to their actual application, it, it always ends up being like where, you know, if they're not working out within the first, you know, 45 days, we're, we're, Basically saying, "Hey, this isn't the right thing for you." Is it? it how do you think about that, and how do you approach that?
0: Yeah, you totally nailed it. Um, we we hire fast, fire fast. Uh, it's it's we're looking for the best people to be in our company and the best, best people that care the most uh, because we want to be a caring, caring, caring brand to our customers, and that's the most important thing to us is actually them. Uh, so we we want employees, we want our team to actually care too. If they seem like they don't care, and then in the first like 45, 60 days, um, they're out. You know, and and I don't mean to come across as cutthroat, but it's we have we I don't want to waste uh, our other team members' time to actually do care. Like it's so important for us to maintain that great culture for my other our other team members on the team, and also it's not fair to our customers either. We're stealing stealing features, we're stealing productivity from them, stealing money from them. Um, so we yeah we we if somebody doesn't work out in the first sixty days, we could typically know it right away, right? It's, you can kind of sense if someone's gonna they're gonna work out long term or not pretty pretty quickly. And uh if we're wrong on the hire, then we let them go. um It's never a fun process to do, but we're willing to do it, and I think that's why we succeed uh, yeah that's that's I think that's the, one of the tricks with with being a remote company is like we need to be we need to be aggressive on some of those things um because we don't have the luxuries of like seeing somebody every single day
1: totally, totally. You almost have to like hire for you know that's your form of accountability. It's just that pace like either show up and ship or you know it's it's not going to work, so all right um want to change oh, right. gears again and get back into, so you, you, I know you doubled down on the B2B influencer marketing. You really like exploited that arbitrage as much as possible. Um, you told me a bit ago that you uh, had some kind of speed bumps that you were starting to see where like brands were trying to box out or like get exclusive kind of deals um, with the influencers mm-hmm. that you've gotten relationships with. And that sparked um, kind of this you know step forward to owned media and, and opening up different channels really investing yeah. in different channels. Could you, could you talk about that and, um, you know, where you're focusing your time, like how you're thinking about that and how you're approaching that?
0: Process. That's awesome. Yeah, thank you. And like you help a lot with this too. So I appreciate you for this. Um, the way that we think about it is like, I uh, feel influencer marketing, all that good stuff is... It's huge. We need that for sure. It's a big traffic driver. It's the shortest path to success or initial success. Uh, it's, it's longer term, longer term though. It's a little harder to, because I think you broke this down to me really, really great one, one day. I don't know if you remember, but Basically, the costs rise, right, with with that type of influencer marketing, right? Um, meaning that, like, if you do a, a like a collaboration, a paid collaboration with an awesome influencer, the more successful they are, the more more valuable they are to you, but also the more valuable they are to the market, and they're actually going to be able to charge now more. And then also, other brands are going to notice their 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 uh, their influence also, and actually going to start reaching out, which again inflates the market for them. Um, which is awesome for the creator, and that's super awesome for them. But it's not really great for like us, like the company, right? Because that means rising, rising CAC for that person, for that, for that collaborator. So that's where like our approach of like own media, own distribution, uh, coupled with the other stuff, is extremely important. Long-term thinking, um, meaning like podcasts, right? Uh, and uh, our own YouTube channel, our own TikTok, our own like own media channels is are so super, super paramount. Uh, for the next one year, two years, three years, four years, five years out. Um, and, and we could talk about podcast stuff too. And when you actually have all that content being generated, when you actually have this stuff that you're doing already with our YouTube channel, we could actually repurpose this content, turn it into a podcast, which if if it makes sense for the market, which it does for us, um, our listener, our audience listens to podcasts, we're actually going to build out that longer term, uh, owned media distribution through podcast. And, uh, super excited about that too. And as you know, we've already had like pretty much immediate success with that, with only a very short, short, short amounts of videos, or I'm sorry, podcasts and um, all thanks to acclaim. So thank you for that, man.
1: <laughs> giving a shout out. I'm not, not expecting that one, but honestly, I I, I, what I, I think is the most interesting thing that you've done is the like relationship you've created on, on TikTok in particular. Do um, you want to talk about that? Like hiring a creator, and having them just focus on that single channel, I think that this is a really interesting trend that I'm starting to see in kind of the greater, like the greater marketing market, where it's like, hey, we have these people that are experts in YouTube, they're experts in Instagram reels, they're experts in, in you know, TikTok, um, we're going to hire, you know, them to basically like own this channel. And then they're measured, you know, based off of that channel success. It, do you want to uh, talk yeah, through totally. like, how that kind of came to be?
0: Yeah. So TikTok was one of those things is obviously on everybody's radar. Everybody knows about it. It's, it's obvious, right? Things go viral on there. It's like distribution is amazing there. Um, the downside is it's for a bootstraps company. There's a million things you could be doing a million things to be focusing on. And that's another thing that you could be focusing on. Right. Uh, we already knew that YouTube was working for us personally. Uh, so TikTok was another thing and it's another shiny thing in fact. Right. Uh, so for us, we actually we actually knew it was there. We wanted to do it, but it wasn't on an immediate roadmap um, until one of our collaborators actually uh, and one of our affiliates were, were actually reached out and was just like, "Hey, like, I'm a TikToker and I could also run everybody's TikTok for you." And Jenny, Jenny's her name, and she's amazing, and she could actually not only run it but actually build it from the ground ground zero. Um, and we just figured out a, a structured deal basically that uh, that worked for her, worked for us. And we thought it'd be a good shot to give it a run. Um, and sh- so far, that's that's how it's worked. We've been doing it for about four or five months now, um, growing our TikTok to a, a substantial, I don't know, like a, I think it's a win. I think it's like 6,000 followers at the, at the current moment, uh, which is not like exploding, but it's actually like, again, we're very long term on it. And it's very sustainable growth. And it's, it's something we are kind of kind of owned.
1: I mean, in B2B SaaS, like, I I just think about, like, you know, you're selling to people that are making, you know, money online, right? Like, the the fact that you can even get content to have any traction whatsoever is, you know, and and have some type of entertainment value, which is like the core um, distribution factor, like within TikToks going viral, right? Um, I I mean, that that speaks volumes. Do you require them to create like a certain amount of Content, like how does that, how is that contract structured? And then like, what are the measurements of success for them?
0: Gotcha. Yeah. So basically the, we're measuring on, um, we're not tying it to revenue really directly, uh, because we don't really need to, in this case, we're not really interested in just revenue for that, for that own media channel. Um, we're mostly tying it to like subscriber count, follower count engagement, but mostly it comes down to, um, follower count. Uh, because again, we're long-term, we understand if we have the followers that are, that are solid, uh, then eventually we can influence those followers to do whatever we want right, in the future help them somehow. Um, so that's, it's, But there's no like specific like she's not gonna fail in this way like if she doesn't hit a certain amount of follower count it's not like it's she she's doing bad it's more so like maybe it's a failed experiment if anything uh so we look at it as a very experimental type of uh project um i think it's important i think i i meant to touch on this earlier is like we hire experts right like you kind of touched on this is like we hire she's an expert in tiktok i've seen her to grow tiktok channels in the past we didn't just like hire somebody off Fiverr or your Upwork or something like that, and they say like they could build a TikTok. Like I consumed her content. I knew her content. Like I've seen her comments on and it also aligns with their audience. So she knew how to speak to our audience as well. Uh we weren't just hiring just a random TikToker. We hired somebody specifically that knew our audience and knew what they would respond to. Um so that's super, super important probably for brands to understand. That's something that's that's reason why we're successful, I think. Um so anyway, it kind of went off topic there, but that's, I want to no, make that no, point.
1: I, that, that's, that's gold, man. I, I think everybody is trying to figure out how to do this and like structure these relationships. I, you know, we saw it in UGC, right? Like the influencer marketing has, I mean, since whatever, 2014 has has been on kind of the mm-hmm. radar for, for, but it, it, it hasn't really made that jump yet. I feel like to B2B and it's just starting, you know, you're just starting to see that trickle down to happen. Um, so I think for a lot of people, it's like just hearing these outside perspectives on how other people are structuring this for their companies, especially when it's a software company is super valuable. So appreciate you sharing that. I mean, I think, Um,
0: no, I think the most valuable thing that a brand could do is just have an affiliate program, like at the bare minimum, have an affiliate program set up. Um, if you don't have that, I see, sometimes I see SaaS companies that don't have that and it kind of blows my mind. I'm just like, why would you not do that? Um, you're missing opportunity just to at least see if something actually has traction, uh, because if you don't even have that, you can actually not even tell you, it will never lead you to the potential. Like, does UGC work? Does influencer marketing work? Like pay collaborations work? So you need to at least have that. And then if it has legs, then you can actually go deeper on it and then run with it. Does that make sense?
1: Totally. Yeah. I feel like a good filter for that is like, if there's creators making content (laughs) that's like in your space, right? Like you should have an affiliate program, like period. Um, I, I, and I imagine there's some where it doesn't make sense, right? Like it's like database infrastructure or like, you know, those types of things. But I mean, I say that, but I've even seen like Twitch accounts that are like, <laughs> here's how I'm structuring this database. So, it, I mean, it, I think all that, you know, is changing. Um, I, I, I agree. I think it, it's one of those things that's like, it's kind of these, it's an arbitrage that isn't going to exist for forever. And, and as more and more people identify it, that, that um, I guess, opportunity is going to evaporate. So
0: I, th- I think with that also, um, I see a lot of brands reach out to, uh, collaborators. And a lot of times there are collaborators too. We're collaborating with them too. And so we're almost like competing over the same person, essentially, essentially. And, and I actually have relationships with these people. So they'll usually just disregard the other brand or, or maybe they'll try them and they'll have a completely terrible experience working with that company. And it's just a couple of reasons why and I don't know why companies are so uh, disconnected from this, but they, they, they tend to like not think like a human in this case, they think only transactional and ROI based. And because they do that, it turns the collaborator off. We have to understand and respect collaborators uh, or or YouTubers or TikTokers or all these people. These people have the leverage. We do not have the leverage. And um, therefore we need to play, like we need to make it structure a win-win with them. Uh, whereas like, hey, you have to like, hey, Cody, you have to do, say it this way, you know, and you, if you say this wrong word, like not approved. And by the way, after you make the video, send it to me, I'm going to approve it. And then, uh, if I don't, you have to revise it. And, um, I see this happen all the time. You probably see this too, Cody. It's like, and when people talk to me about this, our own collaborators, they're just like, I'll never work with that company again. Like we did one video or we did one, one deal. I'm never going to work with them again. And versus our strategy is like, listen, these people, this YouTuber, this TikToker, this Instagram, whatever, they are the expert in talking to their audience. They know what makes them move. They know what makes them buy. They They know what they hate. They know what they love. Let them do what they do best. And then just, they will figure out the best way to position your product to their audience. Stop worrying so much about what color they use and what, what word they say and how they phrase like your brand. Stop worrying about it. I, don't worry about that until you're like a multi, multi-billion dollar company and where you actually have issues with some of this stuff. But like if you're under 10 million ARR, under 20 million ARR, under 50 million ARR, you shouldn't be worried about how your how do your collaborator, how an affiliate is saying your brand and how, how they're delivering your product. Because that is literally the best way that they think it is. You can give suggestions You should give suggestions based on best practices, but don't try to control, uh, your, your influencer. Uh, they'll, they'll hate you for it and they'll, you'll stop. You won't have any loyalty.
1: Totally. I feel like it's such an old world kind of mindset, like traditional, like advertising distribution where it's like, you know, know, it's, it's top down rather than bottom up. Um, and and it's your point, like they have the leverage, they understand their audience. I think uh, that that insight alone right it's like they know how to talk to their their people who trust them better than you do so like it's arrogant to think (laughs) that you're going to be able to outperform, you know in that their relationship etc so all right so you know kind of wrap up two things i want to hit um so bootstrapped how you think about equity um like is that something that you're focused on you know not even approaching yet and then what's the future forever be? Like, where do you see this going? What's the broader vision Vision with this? Um, you know, I, I, I know you have like an e-commerce play in mind. So I, I'd love to hear your thoughts on that.
0: Totally. So yeah, 100% bootstrapped, self-funded, like I said. Um, I'm the uh, sole founder, I guess you could say. Um, there's no one else in the cap table. We have, And then we have our employees. Uh, we eventually will do like some sort of um, stock options, things like that, but we're not there yet. Uh, mostly because not because we don't want to, it's more so just because like, it's a distraction at this point. Like we have so much work ahead of us. Like, I don't want to get distracted with this whole equity thing and we don't need to at this point. Um, we grow and we're profitable and everybody's doing their job. They're loving it. Um, we'll figure out how to do the, whether it's a profit share or, or, uh, stock options in the future. Uh, we'll figure that piece out later. Um, I understand, like, I know where everybody's going, but I also, I understand there's, it's flexible, right. With what our strategies are. Uh, and I want to stay flexible. That's the whole whole point of building it bootstrapped and building it remotely. Is like I believe in flexibility. I believe in options. Um, so when market shifts, when things change, I can shift with it. Everbe can shift with it. Uh, so equity, we're pushing that cons- consideration, all that stuff off into the future. Um, we don't need it, and we're growing significantly right now. So we don't we don't need money to grow. Um, as far as the future of Everbe, like we want to IPO one day. That's, that is the goal. Like a personal goal is like, and not because of the money not because of the the equity. It's mostly because like, I believe that's like the super bowl of like startups uh, or companies is like, it's probably the hardest thing to do. Um, And so therefore that's in my mind right now. Uh, It could change. Um, Could it be like, or we just keep it forever kind of thing. Mostly when I say like IPO one day is because like, I know that at that point we've, we've helped now more, more than 20 million e-commerce companies throughout the world. Right. If we hit that goal, um, I know that like we would be driving billions and billions of dollars of revenue for like small businesses, small entrepreneurs in their homes, moms, right. Brothers, dads, like small, small businesses. If we, if we achieve that, I know that we're going to, we've already achieved basically all the other stuff that we want to achieve. Um, and when I throw it like at the the going public one day or something like that, yes, it's going to be really hard, but mostly it's about like, I want all of our employees, all of our team, and all the people that believed in be to begin with, I want them all to win. And meaning like financially also. Uh, I want them all to be able to participate in this like celebration of like, oh cool, we all just had like an awesome like stock win, right? Like where everybody's wealthy now that was participating really in be. Um so that's that's part of where that vision is. Uh, but really when it comes down to like that's like the big financial goals. Like if you're a business-minded person, that's exciting. But when it comes down to like product, um, yeah, we want to help 20 million e-commerce businesses across the globe. We want to simplify global e-commerce for all, everybody that wants to start an e-commerce company and grow an e-commerce company. We want to make that more simple and faster for them. Uh, so that, that's our goal, man. Um, and then I want everybody around us to win. I want our developers, our ecosystem, like a developer ecosystem to win. I want them to make money. I want our, our sellers, our us customers to make money. I want our employees to make money. And then eventually when we IPO, I want our investors to make a bunch of money, um, that's just how it should be
1: totally Cody. Thanks for coming on, man. Uh, I know we went over time, so I appreciate your flexibility there. Uh, so much to digest. And, uh, again, it, it always just super appreciative of your transparency and, uh, sharing all the stuff you learned along the way. Super excited to continue to watch you doing this. Uh, so cheers, man. Totally, man. Thank you. See you. Absolutely.